think we have to get serious about what does it look like to build mutual aid out. Um, I see some folks here, and uh, in particular, Stu, um, all of, this whole crew of people, Aaron, all y'all did, they, they, they experimented with mutual aid as unionists in their school communities because their families need it, right? And so now they have relationship that you were not just going to get on a picket line. You have, or just being in my classroom, you're going to have relationship that I trust you, I depend on you, and thank you. You were a part of our survival plan, right? So we're going to have to be able to figure out how we build out mutual aid that gives us the sustenance, the relationship, and the trust. Hey, folks. This is Stephen Pitts, host of Blackboard Talk. And that was Stacey Davis-Gates, president-elect of the Chicago Teachers Union. The clip is from the Intergenerational Black Worker Organizing Panel, which took place on Friday, June 17th, at the Labor News Conference in Chicago. We recorded the entire panel and are presenting the conversation across two separate episodes of Black Work Talk. Panel moderators were Toussaint Lossier of the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and Bianca Cunningham of the Action Center on Race and the Economy. Toussaint has been my co-host on the miniseries on the Black Left, and Bianca was one of the guests on the miniseries. In addition to Stacy, panelists included Jerome Scott, longtime organizer in the struggle for Black freedom and worker rights, Susan DiCarava of the News Guild in New York, and Chris Smalls of the Amazon Labor Union. In the second episode, Toussaint and I provide some context for the panel. Next, we jump to the discussion of the second panel question. What does it mean to support Black worker organizing at this moment in time? And that discussion flows into the Q&A with the audience. Toussaint and I close out the episode with some reflections on that discussion. Let's get to that conversation. Hey, folks, this is Stephen Pitts, co-host of Black Work Talk, and here once again with my co-host, Hussan Lussier. What's happening? How you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. So as you mentioned, this is um, a special sort of package of episodes because um, Black Work Talk co-sponsored a workshop at the Labor News Conference Juneteenth weekend in Chicago, and the, the panel was on intergenerational panel Black Worker Organizing. And because it was so good, we split it into two. And this is part two of our conversation itself. Part one dealt with the question of the challenges facing Black workers and what's to be done. It was a phenomenal conversation, man. I really enjoyed that. But now it gives a sense of what's happening going into part two. Sure. So, you know, part one was really interesting because we had um, folks like Jerome Scott talking about, um, you know, the uh, changes that have taken place um, over the past half century in regards to automation and um, changes in the workplace and the larger, um, you know, like arrangement of industrial capitalism. You had folks like um, Stacey Davis Gates talk about the landscape as it relates to the privatization of public education. Um, uh, You know, you had real interesting discussions of both the context of labor organizing today as well as um, some of the like particular aspects of how um, you know our panelists, many you know on the, on the folks on the cutting edge of some of the 
um, either trying to make sense of or actually um, carrying out the, you know, um, the trade union struggle. Um, you, um, in this part, have a really interesting um, uh, conversation, both during the panel itself and then also a little bit during the Q&A, where folks are talking in real forthright ways about what it's meant to carry out some of the organizing uh, that they've been involved in. Um, and then also what they could see coming down the line, you know, what what it might mean to continue doing some of the power building that they've carried out in the future. Um, and, you know, that that means in a context where, you know, um, you know, we're in a recession and folks are facing eviction. Um, that means um, in, you know, in the context of, say, building um, an upstart uh, trade union like the ALU, what that means in relationship to larger kind of established institutional, you know, um, players within the labor movement. Um, yeah, just a real dynamic conversation, um, especially when you get to the Q&A and you hear the way in which folks are wrestling with some of the questions that are being posed from the floor, from the audience. Um, yeah, just a real, um, real rich uh, discussion. That sounds great, man. Let's get to it. I want to ask you all if you could speak to um, what does it mean to support uh, black worker organizing at this moment in time? And I say at this moment in time, because even though we haven't gotten the official word from the news and the experts, we're pretty much in a recession at this moment in time. Right. And um, that not only speaks to the degree of suffering or increased suffering that um, our people are dealing with. But I just noting the sophisticated organizing that folks in CORE did during the last recession, right? And the way in which that led to the to the Chicago, what, the first Chicago teacher strike in about 25 years, yeah. right? The way in which during the course of the pandemic, you all took strike, strike action, walkout action, uh, first around PPE, and then began to build the ALU. And we are at a moment where going into not only this crisis around inflation, but also the recession that we're falling into, it's not only a situation in which folks are facing increased harm, uh, possible unemployment and so on and what have you, but also further opportunity for folks to organize. So what in this moment of crisis on top of the pandemic, on top of war taking place around the world, um, and in um, particular moment of economic turmoil, can um, uh, can you best articulate what it looks like to support black worker organizing? Shout out to CORE. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually the question that I am grappling with as president elect, because our president, Jesse Sharkey, is still here. <laughs> But that and that is a real question, because when we bargain our next contract, they're going to tell us everything that they told us in 2011 and 2016. We took a one day strike in 2016 for revenue Um, and the sophisticated (laughs) organizing you speak of, sir, (laughs) consisted of us calling rich people's names out loud. (laughs) And telling them um, they got to pay what they owe. 
But not only that, going into their places of business and asking, you know, to speak with them or asking to attend their board meetings or, you know, because we recognize at the time that Rahm Emanuel was a middle manager. And Tucson, I think at that time, y'all was taking over houses. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So there's this there's this this synergy mm-hmm. that happens organically when people need stuff. Um, and so we don't number one, we don't expect to be the only people um, out here cutting up. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Yes, we are going to cut up. Um, So we don't expect that. But here's what I think is necessary in this moment. This is what I'm learning, I think. And emphasis on I think. Stop acting like we know. Because what we're doing right now is building something. And we got to test hypothesis. We got to fail at some stuff and be okay with some stuff. Because no one in here can tell me how we overcame because we are overcoming. So we're doing stuff and be okay with that. In fact, celebrate that part of it because it's too many of us running around here like we have the answers. We do not. And then when someone calls us on it, we're defensive. I'm going to tell you from the beginning, I don't know. But here's what I think. So here's what I think. (laughs) I think that I learned during the the safety fights in particular that um, it's not okay for women in particular to say what they need and expect people to listen to it. Our profession is about 85 percent female. And when women say no, um, our world systems get upset. So one of the things that we have to do is that we have to empower women in this moment as women. Right. You get to say something. Number two, you have to capitalize on the assets that you have. Why are we searching for parents? I have three children who go to public schools. What disqualifies me? Because they give me a microphone and a seat at a table. Right. My struggle is that struggle. So you have to identify yourself. You cannot leave out. I am a mother. You cannot leave out. I am black. You cannot leave out. I am first generation. You cannot leave out. I ain't never paying them student loans back. (laughs) Because it matters to explain that to people so they They don't accept but understand what the fight is. The terms of the fight is what I'll say. So you have to identify that. I think you also have to be willing to try to do the thing you haven't done before. So, for instance, and I'm testing this with my, like, you know, HOD here. (laughs) I think that we're going to have to rescue a student and their family from eviction. I think that's what we're going to have to do. I think that we're going to have to surround their home and tell them that they got to come back another day. I I told you we cut up. (laughs) Um, So I think we're going to have to do that. And I think that we're going to have to see parents also as workers. Yes. Do you know how many people in this man's union are young parents who cannot afford childcare and their kids are walking themselves home from school because they there for 12 hours and then they can't even call home and check on them and see what's up. Think about that. So we're going to have to see the parents that are in your union as again, we have to expand it 
as our allies, our partners, our organizing partners. And we bring them to the table with us. I also think we have to get serious about what does it look like to build mutual aid out? Um, I see some folks here, Anna, in particular, Stu, um, all of this whole crew of people, Aaron, all y'all did, they, they, they experimented with mutual aid as unionists in their school communities because their families need it, right? And so now they have relationship that you were not just going to get on a picket line. You have, or just being in my classroom, you're going to have relationship that I trust you. I depend on you and thank you. You were a part of our survival plan, right? So we're going to have to be able to figure out how we build out mutual aid that gives us the sustenance, the relationship and the trust. Finally, we're going to have to pick a lot of different fights in a lot of different ways. Um, we, it's going to be hard in these in the years to come because the fights that we have to pick are going to be with people who wrap themselves in celebrity. Right. Yeah, oh my goodness, but we also can't be mad that this man is a celebrity too. Right. And let me tell you why. I didn't even plan to go here. But let me tell you, (laughs) let me tell you why, because there is a world that is responding to a thing. People liked Johnny Depp. He crazy, too. But they liked him. I'm not making a case for Johnny Depp. I'm making a case for us. We're not exclusive. We are dying. Just because it's 4,000 people here, y'all know more, mm-hmm. right? That said, I need Chris out here and all of what he's saying. You don't think he know what he's doing? You don't think this is a strategy? <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't think when brothers see him, they, they okay? All right. Y- y'all get up and put on uniforms. He get up and put on his too. He just know which one to wear. Mm-hmm. High five this man for understanding the power of hip hop. Yeah. The power of black culture. Yeah. The power of um, popular culture. Yeah. Right. That is a strategy. Be unafraid. High five Sarah when you see her with the camera crew. You know why? Because they going to look at Sarah. Y'all know they going to look at Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not objectifying her. I'm stating a fact. Yes. Yeah. And why not? Because when they look at her, you know what she's going to say? The rich people need to pay their fair share. I got to talk after that one. Because <laughs> I had a lot to say about that. Thank you so much. God damn it. Let me just, let me just. Y'all would have took a picture with Zendaya too. Don't front. That's my celebrity crush. I'm letting it out there. Anyway. No, seriously, though. Um, yeah, I know people people look at me and it's funny. I mean, I only been in the media for like two years and I've been dressing the same for like forever. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. People, I, my day one at Amazon 2015, I walked in there with the BMW, same style. And now I'm on TV. Everybody think I'm taking union dudes some shit. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, this is me. Guys, my mother, 
I always been like this my whole entire life. I like nice things. So what? You know, and then and and it's it's um that's important of, of being who you are, no matter where you at. When they invited me to the White House, they said, oh, oh, you may have to take your hat and scarf off. I said, well, then I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming as is. And that's why I was able to walk through there with the eat the rich and all of that, because I told them as is. If y'all invited me and 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 Queen just said, you know, representation of of unions, of workers, of working class. We don't get on the platforms that I'm getting on. And I don't know why it's me. A little bit. I know I've, I've done some things and I've put in a lot of work and time, but not really that much. I I won't be afraid to admit that I've been campaigning for almost what, uh, over a year. Not really long in certain campaigns that can go for years and years. But we did some historical um, and we made history. So my platform, obviously, whirlwind of things. And everywhere I go, no matter if it's Trevor Noah, I've been on 60 Minutes. I've been on Dr. Phil. I've been on CNN. I've been on. I'm serious. Look it up. YouTube. People forgot about this stuff. They get amnesia real quick. It's like I've been in the media and I've been on all these different platforms. But my message is always the same. It's always the same. It's always about the workers. It's always about how we got there and about what we need. And I don't care about none of that. I don't care about what celebrity I'm meeting. I don't care about who I'm shaking hands with, who I'm taking pictures with. Only thing I care about is the workers in that warehouse and all the warehouses across the country and not just in Amazon, every industry. That's why you see me on the picket lines with fashion workers, with with nurses and doctors, with bus drivers. I just visited hella Starbucks. I'm going to be going to Starbucks. Every Starbucks I stop by, I get a Union Strong drink. Um, any industry, I've been on the picket lines. Anywhere I go, if somebody invite me out and I have the capacity to go, y'all know I'm showing up and I'm cutting shit up because that's what we got to do. We got to cut it up. And we, got, we have to. And I'm talking directly to white people. Don't take offense to this, but take offense to this. Don't. You have to support that. You have to support black workers, especially black organizers. You have to play a position. It's okay to disagree sometimes. Don't disagree and then leave the movement and go to Twitter. A lot of y'all got Twitter fingers. All that shit stops. Stop disagreeing and trying to talk shit about the people you was just organizing with because you do that a lot. And it's not just white people. It's black people, too. If you are organizing and you went in for the cause, put your emotions and your feelings aside sometimes. Because that's what gets the best of y'all. Happens to all of us. Imagine if I wore my emotion on this sleeve. Oh, I'll be in a lot of fights right now because I'm telling you. That's where I came from. And I don't do that. I know how to turn it on. I know how to turn it off. And when it comes to organizing, we all dealt with it. And I got this advice from other organizers, some uh, politician. They told me, said in in a year, they said, your circle is going to change four or five times. I'm like, damn, that's a lot. 
they were right. They were right. And it's sad to say that. I'm like, damn, imagine if I had all the people that started with me two years ago, how much farther I'll be. be. But unfortunately, we allow our feelings, our emotions, our disagreements, our arguments. Just because we're black and I want to do that. Why is he getting all the attention? We allow that to infiltrate our our movements and our minds. And we walk away. We run the Twitter. We run the social media. We talk crap about somebody else. We divide ourselves, really. And we scream out solidarity. And there's a lot of people here in this same building that's in this building. They here. Our ops are here. Well, they here. We know who they are, and I ain't, I ain't getting into it. I ain't getting into it, but this is, this is where it starts. If we here to protect one another, we here for the working class, we have to once again call that shit out. We have to put it into that. We have to put it into that. It's not about what I'm wearing, what I'm dressing. It's not about none of that. You know, they're like, oh, well, Oh, he's on the red carpet with a Prada suit. He's not representing the working class. You know how much I paid for that Prada suit? <laughs> Donut. I wasn't going. I, I asked my assistant. I ain't had no outfit the day before. Thankfully, they said, you know what? We'll gift it to you. They gifted it to me. I said, okay, I'm taking anybody would took that. So, like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about, oh, how much I spent. I spent no money on it. Because if I did, I wouldn't have been there. Trust me. I can't. And the whole time, I'm going to tell y'all my experience while I was there at the, since we on this subject. I sat in that room with all these billionaires. Bill Gates was there. His daughter was there. Everybody was there. And I sat in that room for about two hours. And the only thing I can remember while I sat there was that I was the one, I was the worker who set up these, ta- these chairs and tables a few years ago. And they didn't know that. And I was sitting in there. And I lift up the tablecloth and I said, wow, I used to work for this company and I used to deliver these chairs. So you know what I did? I got up, I walked out and I started talking to the workers that were serving the food. I said, you in the Times Union? I support y'all. So shout out to the the union that's uh, that's there, the Times Union, because they have one and they fighting for a contract. That's what I did when I was there. Yeah, I took some pictures and I shook some hands, but I made sure I connected with the union and the workers. And everywhere we all go, that's exactly what we do. This hotel unionized? Yeah. All right, better be. <laughs> I just had a couple of things that I keep forgetting to say. <laughs> you know, um, there's some big advantages to being old, but memory is not one of them. Uh, first of all, I want to, the, the Chicago Teachers Union. I know you know how influential your battle has been throughout the country. You know, um, that fight has expressed the need for the trade union movement to go back to a class union stance. And, and that has served as an example for many 
struggles around the country, not just teacher struggles, but I'm sure you know all this, but I just want to make sure they know all this. <laughs> you know, and the fact that you brought up the concept of love as an important concept, you know, I, I think that's, that's tremendous. You know, one of my favorite people in this world and one of the revolutionaries that is probably more well-known in this country, although he's not an American, is Shea. And what Shea said is, the motivation for a revolution is the love of his class. That's right. You know, and, and so revolutionaries out there, don't be ashamed. Mm -hmm. You know, if you love properly, you know, because there is some wrong love out there, too. <laughs> but if you love properly and you love your class, you, you're doing right. You know, and so I appreciate the fact that you brought that concept up. And, and the, the, the Chicago struggle and the Amazon struggle, you know, which I followed the struggle that you've been through in, at Amazon and, and some of the struggles that you went through internally to the, to the fight to get that union and to have people recognize that you are who you are, you know, and I, and I think that's a really, really critical battle too, because of where it's at. I mean, Amazon is the big example of this revolution that's going on in technology, you know, and, and it's at a critical point in the distribution network of all capitalist commodities, you know, so that becomes a critical battle. And, and the only, um, I wouldn't even call it advice because I'm sure you know this. The only thing I would say to you is take advantage of every opportunity you get now to spread the word about the need to unite the working class because this shit won't last. Right. You know? That's right. You know, you, you'll be a hero today and tomorrow they'll be putting your ass in jail. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and so, but take advantage of it. I'm, oh, they tried. Oh, I know. And, oh, 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 no, no, no. Yeah. They didn't just try. They still working on oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're right. <laughs> you know, but the most important thing that I wanted to say in, my, in, in this moment was that those struggles are very critical. And I've been spending my time talking about the big picture and how do you secure the victories of those struggles. Mm -hmm. We can't do it with one or the other. We have to do it together. You got to have a long-term strategy and a short-term strategy. You got to fight for those day-to-day -day needs of the working class, or you won't have any credibility to be talking about anything else. And you shouldn't. You know, so if you see the need for revolution in this country, you better see the need for fighting for unions. You better see the need for fighting for education. I mean, really... There's not an institution in this country today that serves the needs of working class people. So you can fight against every one of them, education, health care, whichever one you want to call out, because they're all suffering from the same thing. You know, and that is the lack of the ability to serve the, the needs of the people and particularly the workers of this country. You know, and so those struggles are critical. but in order to secure those struggles, we got to get to the root cause. And if you look deep into each and every one of those struggles, the major problem is that we're in an economy that's driven by profit. Money determines everything. 
You know, money determines how they run those warehouses. Public schools. Now, you know, you used to think of public schools as being public. <laughs> There's a big struggle over how not to privatize them now. And why they want to privatize them? Money. You know, and so as long as we're in this economy that profit comes first, those gains are not safe. Because the profit drive will figure out a way to drive those things back down. So, thinking about all that, I think that if you want to secure your day-to-day -day struggles, you best be a revolutionary. So we're going to transition here, folks. Hopefully you're enjoying yourselves. We're about to wrap up in 10 minutes, but we do have some time for questions. Um, yeah, questions. So I see a hand in the back. You have to come to me, though, because we have to use the mic. Remember, this is part of the podcast. Yes, please. No commentary at Grandstand. I will take I will take the mic. OK. <laughs> All right, so my question is, how do black workers here in America connect our fight to anti-imperialist struggle as well? I just, no, I'm, okay. Well, um, I think I, I would quote the brilliant journalist, muckraker, um, revolutionary Ida B. Wells. And say, the way, indeed, indeed. <laughs> By way of Tennessee. <laughs> Everybody always wants to have a claim. Um, <laughs> the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. And the key part of that phrase is the action of turning on the light. What Chris talked about when he was sitting in that Time 100 gala, he was turning on the light on the people who were actually doing the work. And that is what we must do. And that is the challenge. When we talk about the challenges of organizing against exploitation, against profit making, against capitalistic endeavors that dehumanize all of us, that means you must have the courage to turn on the light and name it. You talked about the smart strategic thing you did was name all those people. <laughs> I mean, that's where it starts. That is in and of itself an action. And, you know, there are connections here to be made between the workers who made that event happen and the workers who shape what the public perception of that action was. I represent, my union represents the editorial workers that produce Time magazine. They produce the website and they have been in a pitched battle for several years for a contract that acknowledges that they work for a company that rather keep a largely white, non-diverse newsroom than reach an agreement with its workers. Yep. They will not address pay inequity. They will not address 
the struggles of the people that make them so much money. And whether you are working with a white collar, a gray collar, or a blue collar, at the end of the day, we are still stuck in a system which profits off of our exploitation. And that, I think, goes to the heart of the question that the young man just asked. You've got to name it, and then you've got to turn on the light and make sure other people see it too. And then you got to work to dismantle it and make sure that, that that light spreads to every single corner of the room. And you do that by prioritizing the people that do the work. Other questions? So we talked about the operatives, but I want to know, like, literally, what are we going to do about the ones that Harriet Tubman would have shot? Like, what are we going to do with them that are undermining the movement? Y'all acting bad today, <laughs> but let's go. Who wants it? I, you know what? It's, this is, <laughs> that's a good, that, that one threw me off. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? It's crazy because uh, about turning the light on, and um, I'm pretty sure Harriet Tubman would have came right with me to Basil's house when I was outside. So, that's what we have to do as well. These CEOs, these people that they they quick to run in the media, they quick to run in social media, they quick to do that. Go to their doorsteps. <laughs> Go to their doorsteps. Cost them some money to pay the little precincts to watch our picket line on their doorsteps. Because that's build a guillotine up if you have to. Do whatever it takes. Bring workers. You know they claim they represent. Oh. Unions are we we're better off without unions. Bring the members to the doorsteps. Bring the bring the members to the door. I'm somebody send me Andy Jossie's address. I'm looking for him. He running his mouth. What we did before we uh started unionizing with my organization, the Congress of Central Workers, we traveled to every Jeff Bezos mansion across the country first and his penthouses. And yeah. We brought workers and we we brought different struggles, the social injustice, the environmental movement, um, Black Lives Matter. We brought all of that wherever we was at, from L.A., Beverly Hills. We went to neighborhoods that, you know, white people was looking at us like, where the hell they come from? I wanted them. That's what we wanted. We wanted them to look at us like, yeah, we here. We from New York and we in Beverly Hills and, and make them afraid, make them uncomfortable. You know, show up at their doorsteps. Howard Shorts is another one. Is that the CEO of Starbucks? Yeah. He running his mouth crazy. Yeah. I would have been pulled up. We got 100 and, 160 stores or 70. I would have told my 170 stores, be like, you know what? Let me go into Howard Shorts' house. And we going to stay outside until he start, he stopped running his mouth. Same thing. I'm not done with Bezos. Even though Bezos ain't no, he ain't even the CEO no more. And I'm still talking shit about him. Cause I don't like him. And, and, and that's what we had to do. We had to keep the conversation alive. We have to keep the workers' voices alive. We got to shine a light on them. And we got to show up at their doorsteps. And we got to. We got to show up at their doorsteps. And this is serious. This is a call to action. It's a call to action. Show up at their doorsteps. Tweeting is not going to work. Get away from that shit. Get away from social media. Y'all know where the real work starts. 
Y'all know where it starts. And it doesn't have to be seen all the time. Go to their doorsteps. Thank you. Okay, we have time for one more, one more. Come to the front if you have a question. Yeah, so I um just want to ask a question because you were talking a lot about um how you built your own independent uh, union. And so what do you feel like is a good plan for black folks that are stuck in these established unions that really aren't doing anything for us and are sometimes just as bad at races as the employers are? So, damn, um, there's been, I've been in a bad contract before. I, I was a teamster. I was with Unite here before Amazon. It's kind of crazy, right? I was a union member before and I, I had bad contracts and um, my experience, uh, woo, I had a, a bad situation with the union. They didn't represent me. I got into a, a argument with management. They called me on my name. I recorded it. I went to arbitration and all this shit. The union gave the manager a slap on the wrist. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah, asked me, what do y'all want me to do? And I said, he needs to be fired. He's been calling people out of their names for years. Racial names. I have a recording. Y'all heard it. And y'all going to keep this man in? So I'm like, you know what? This union ain't working for me, right? Um, You got to call that out. You and your members, black members, who will feel the same way. Um. You have to come together and whoever it is that you're talking about specifically, it is a way to remove that person. If if not, as a collective, maybe I address the executive board. You know, that's it is a chain of command. And I'm not sure how other unions work, but um, I know when my my union, we don't want everybody. We don't want anybody to be silent. If you have an issue, don't hold on to that. Don't sit there and just deal with it. Like, hell no. First of all, step number one, say something. Say something like, nah, this this what happened. This is what's going on. And we need a resolution before we can continue organizing. Withhold your labor. You have the right to do that. You know, that your your organizing skills, whatever you bring to the union, you can withhold that. And you can bring your members along with that until you get the representation in the union. And if it's not working for you, you know, then, hey, it ain't that hard to start an independent union. You know, it, it really ain't. You know, just get 30 percent. That's what we did. You know, just talk to your coworkers, whatever it is. If you feel like it's not going in your direction, don't don't stand there. Don't sit in that situation. You got to do something. You know, that's not that's not solidarity. And we get in that. We get news. All right. I'm in a union. I hear a lot of people talk about that. I'm in a union. They're not doing nothing for me. That don't even make sense. How you in a union and you're not they're not doing nothing for you? That's that's not solidarity. So you need to address that right on. Don't dwell on it. Don't sit on it. Don't be embarrassed by it. Hold your executive board accountable. Hold your president accountable. Hold your whoever it is above you, your director. Hold them accountable. I tell my members all the time, I'm not perfect. I'm the interim president, but like if Y'all don't see me. Y'all see me do something. I'm like, tell me. Y'all got my number? I'd be like, you got my number. Call me. Tell me what it is so I can work it out. We can come to some type of agreement. We can fix it. I don't want anybody to feel like they can't come to me. No matter where you at inside the union, you should be able to address 
the executive board and get some resolution out of that. And if you can't do your, do what you got to do, start your own shit. Straight up, start your own shit. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, 2008, well, let's just say it like this. There were a series of laws passed, policies changed um, to gentrify the parts of the Chicago um, that they no longer wanted to see black people in. So there was a housing plan, shout out to Marion Stamps. Um, and what it did was it raised the projects um, in the city with a promise of returning people to homes that were better. That still hasn't happened today. Juxtaposed to that, the government came to Chicago and said that our schools were failing at a time where the greatest number of black people were working in those schools as administrators, as educators, as paras, and every component, right? From the top to the bottom and everything in between. So the schools were failing. Remember, I'm failing my the children that I have because remember, we're still predominantly female. So I am black mother with black children teaching black children. I'm failing them. Let that sit there for a second. Um, and so all of what's happening in the city is really and truly a Negro removal policy. Say that. Say that. And so you have the conditions for a fight back. Now, it didn't come from the organizations in our city um, that have a history of um, fighting for racial justice. Now, I don't make judgments about that. It's the reality of capitalism. Be clear, those organizations have to run and they do get checks from the same corporations where the union was chasing to survive for the things that they're able to do. Now, I may not agree with it, but it's good to understand why. Right. So that said, they closed my school and they closed the school of the man, Jackson Potter, who's the vice president um, of the Chicago teacher elect of the Chicago Teachers Union. And they closed our school. And they told us that we were failing in Lorraine Hansberry's theater. But they didn't just tell me that. They told everyone black there that you were done because you failed black children. At the same time, we walk out of the school building in the Inglewood community and we see vacancy, like just vacancy everywhere, right? So the caucus that I belong to at the same time was fighting the militarization of the public schools at the same time. So you have school closings, you have school turnarounds that fires all the workers in the building, you have the militarization of it, and then you have the privatization moving at the same time. So they're popping up with schools that are employing white women who don't stay because they don't treat them well, workers, for just a, a small amount of time and they pay them nothing because they're not organized spaces, okay? We've organized 30% of charters in Chicago, by the way. That said, what we did as a caucus, because we weren't in power yet, and it's, and it's important for you to understand this, 2008 to 2010, we were not in leadership of our union and we were in leadership of our union. Because it wasn't just the black workers, the black workers talked to the Latinx workers, the Latinx workers talked to the white workers, because when the sister told us when our boats are lifted, all boats are lifted. 
I'm not saying it's a perfect coupling. We it's we're people. We're imperfect. Shit happens. That said, from 2008 to 2010, we're filing lawsuits. We're naming rich people and not just naming them. We're naming the harm and connecting it to policy and pointing out the enablers. And then we're asking them to stop by going and knocking on their doors, right? Visiting them at their workplace, Chase Bank, um, figuring out how to compel them to see that the actions that they take with their middle managers are marginalizing opportunities of the families that depend on the Chicago public schools, families being my family as a worker and my students' families. That said, we as rank and file said that our workspace is being marginalized. And at the time, our union leadership were, they accommodated this, right? They accommodated it. So we went around that. Now, the model isn't a perfect model and it is still a model. You have to talk to people, you, you, to the point, you don't suffer in silence. You figure out, but you also don't make it about you, worker, You make it about the larger impacts of your work, how it is connected to the community, and then how you are feeling it in your workplace. Because you can't do it just as a worker who's pissed off by the marginalization. You do it as an individual who's a worker, find other workers who do the same thing, connect the pieces of what's happening, make it bigger. Right. Because once you make it bigger, you find more people and then you pick a fight and the fight is not with the union is with the boss. Always focus it where it belongs. And let me tell you why it's not the union. Because they're going to catch up. They're going to respond to you. He told you now that they've done it. Here we come. Find your tribe. Make it bigger. Connect the dots, organize more people to it, take whatever action in the strategy that matches the need and watch it grow and watch the power, be it in your union or the power that you're really fighting, the institution of white supremacy and capitalism. Watch it respond. I just want to thank everyone for joining us for this intergenerational conversation. We hope that you feel fed. Let's show some love to our panelists, our moderator. Thank you so much. Toussaint, that was great, man. That was really phenomenal. You heard so much energy in the room. You heard so much kind of, how do you say, kind of integrity in terms of how people dealt with the questions and so forth. Mm-hmm. I just loved hearing it. What your, your reflections, man? Yeah, you know, there was. it's interesting. There's a, um, so I'm not like a big reader of, of Jacobin <laughs> or what have you, but <laughs> um, there was an article that came out a couple days after Labor Notes that described the conference itself as a sort of beating heart of the labor movement, right? That you had the largest attendance 
um, that Labor Notes has been able to field in its history. Um, we had a real kind of sense of militancy in the air, whether it's because of the uh, Amazon labor struggle, the Starbucks workers, the real kind of way in which the uh, kind of the newest generation of folks in the movement have kind of like stepped into their role um, in terms of uh, pushing the ball forward and, and, you know, taking up the baton to some degree. Um, I really th- I really felt like that that was um, not only an apt description of the conference itself, but also this particular panel and the ways in which um, folks were not only, as you said, sort of speaking forthrightly about their own experience, um, but also making connections that went beyond the shop floor and the sort of like union labor hall towards thinking more broadly, how could the struggles that um, that they've been involved in or they're currently involved in be transformative in a broader sense, I thought was really, really, really powerful. Once again, man, thanks for stepping up. Okay, we appreciate that. Pleasure. What we didn't tell you is that you mentioned a small room in the basement they had a workshop in. That's because they thought I was going to be there. <laughs> had they known you would have been there, they would have had the main, the main room, no, man. Okay, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I, I spent time in Chicago, so I'm running into all these people, and they're yeah. like, "What are you doing here? We haven't seen you." Duh. So, you know, maybe, you know, uh, if if only next time. See, this is a lesson for next time. Just you can put my name on there, and then you know things might turn around a little differently because, you know, we got two microphones instead of just one. We had translation into several different languages. You know, so, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I don't want to um, not come across as too humble. And I also don't want to, um, uh, I, I want to say my appreciation for the opportunity to, to participate in the panel and uh, whatever the shoes I was asked to fill, whether they were the super um, small shoes of the room that they gave us in the bottom of this uh, swanky hotel on the north side of Chicago, or whether they are the um, you know the kind of expansive shoes and you know properly sized room that would have effectively accommodated the conversation. Whatever circumstances are, I'm up for it. It's all good, man. You take care of yourself, okay? All right, Bye-bye. you too. I hope folks enjoy this special episode of Black Work Talk. Please tune in to the first special episode of Black Work Talk, which captures the discussion on the first question, what are the key challenges facing Black workers today, and what should we do about it? Thanks for joining me this week on Black Work Talk. This podcast is co-sponsored by Convergence, an online magazine devoted to providing space for the key conversations needed to advance our movement. As always, I hope you're able to financially support Black Work Talk. This special presentation of the Libnos panel was made possible due to your support. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast and go to Patreon to become a sustainer. Till next time, stay safe and be well.